Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone. This is Thomas Rosenberg. I hope you were able to catch Ronnie's inaugural show on the 17th with Project Equity. If not, I encourage you to check it out. She discussed how small business owners can leave their legacy by transferring ownership to their employees through conversions to cooperative legal structures. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership and what's required to change paradigms. In previous shows, we've discussed how language shapes our perceptions and the future that results from that language. And a language that supports existing societal narratives or meta-narratives prevents those narratives from changing. And to create the just, inclusive future we want, we need to foster and use language that reflects our desires. While these meta-narratives drive societal perspectives and impact us at the group and individual level, it doesn't mean we can't change how we respond to these narratives as individuals. And so by changing our individual responses, we set the stage for changing paradigms. To discuss language, leadership, and what's required to create this just, inclusive future that we want is Fedor Ovchinnikov, co-founder and managing partner of the Institute for Evolutionary Leadership. Hi, Fedor, and welcome to the show. Hello, Tom. Hello, everyone. Uh, Thank you for having me here. It's uh, an honor to uh, participate in this show, and uh, I very much look forward to the conversation. Awesome. Likewise. So, I would like to just jump right in, and could you describe the purpose of the Institute for Evolutionary Leadership and when it was founded? Sure. Um, Our purpose is to um, help people develop competences um, that uh, allow them to redesign cultures, institutions, and worldviews in service uh, to a more just, sustainable, and flourishing world. And the Institute was founded uh, just about three years ago, but it is grounded in the work of my co-founder and mentor, Manuel Menga, who has been doing this work for about uh, two decades. Um, And uh, his idea behind evolutionary leadership, the term that he coined, and I know that other people coined independently at different stages, uh, but, uh, you know, he coined it... um, uh, in this, uh, uh, you know, in, in, uh, with this with this kind of purpose uh, uh, in the early nineties, so that the f- rationale for for evolution leadership was that he realized that by doing leadership development work, uh, he helps leaders um, be effective in the current cultures and institutions, um, which really helps them destroy the world, basically unconsciously. And he started thinking about what are the knowledge and and, uh, tools and concepts and uh, competences that uh, people need to develop uh, in order to consciously, to be effective in conscious redesign of those cultures and institutions, rather than be effective in complying with them and responding to uh, whatever these cultures and institutions demand them to be successful. And that was the beginning of of, of his evolutionary journey. And... um, um, I uh, came to this work um, through my own path, and we joined forces about three years ago to create the institute together. Fantastic. So, why now? Why why did you feel it was essential? 
Manuel's been involved in this for a couple of decades, you said. And so w- why do you feel like it was essential to do this, to form the Institute now? Uh, well, I mean, generally, if we talk about the uh, macro level, uh, like global level, uh, the time is uh, yesterday, like years ago, right? <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's not just like, oh, we see a unique opportunity right now to do something about it. Um, people have been doing a lot of things uh, in this direction over the last not only two decades, but actually like for, for many, many, many years. Um, and uh, the uniqueness of the moment that I personally see is that um, because of the technology, um, because of the um, ease with which we communicate with each other and uh, the increasing interconnectedness of, of, of the world. Uh, now, um, and also because of the decline of the old system, that is very obvious to so many people right now. Um, there is um, more opportunity to do this work today that in terms of, I mean, I would say it's the, it's um, less pressure from existing cultures and institutions that um, people uh, who were doing this work like 20 years ago or even 10 years ago had, right? Um, uh, one example is uh, over the last uh, six years, I've been involved with um, the Academy of Management, which mm-hmm. is the world's largest association of management scholars. Uh, so you can imagine the conference for 10,000 professors of management, primarily <laughs> professors of management from like Harvard, Stanford, and, you know, many other schools in, around the world. And uh, they come together and they talk about topics like capitalism in question, like the entire conference, the main theme of the conference is capitalism in question. Uh, another year, making organizations meaningful, right? So there is definitely something happening here. And uh, this is just one of the many, many examples uh, that um, more and more people start realizing um, that uh, they need to work towards that direction. And this opens up the conversation around what competences they need. And that gives us um, a, a kind of a, an opportunity to jump in right away with, uh, with, um, with the work that um, was created by so many people before us. And we kind of build with these bridges between people who really want to redesign cultures and institutions, who already get the purpose, and uh, this wealth of knowledge that was created in many cases in isolation or with, uh, um, you know, auxiliary applications uh, to different other uh, spheres of life, right? Uh, but we can package this work in a way that is most effective for our clients um, and our co-learners uh, to apply this work specifically for intentional redesign of cultures and institutions for a better world. Mm. Okay, super. So when we spoke earlier, you shared a, a version for five-year-olds of what the Institute does. And I was wondering if you could share that now. Oh, with right. Our audience. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so uh, some of our listeners might, ha- might be familiar with uh, a classical iceberg model from systems thinking. Um, and uh, Manuel, uh, my co-founder, Manuel Manga, um, added two other layers to that model. Um, and then um, after teaching that so many times, uh, you know, I came up with this kind of simple example to illustrate um, what is evolutionary work versus versus um, uh, creating technical solutions within the existing paradigm, existing cultural and institutional context? Um, so imagine 
um, that you have an event that you don't like. Uh, for example, um, you uh, you have a leakage from your ceiling, like it's raining outside and uh, the water is coming from your ceiling. So that's an event. Uh, it's un an unfortunate event. Um, and uh, what I know many people do to respond to that is to bring a bucket and just put it out there and then change the bucket when it's full, right? Um, good, legitimate response to this event. However, at some point, you notice a pattern that every time it rains outside, uh, the water is coming uh, down from your ceiling, right? That's a pattern. And you can kind of predict that whenever you see rain outside, you know that you need to bring another bucket. So your response to a pattern um, could be something like, oh, now I will anticipate this breakdown. I will just keep the bucket there. I know exactly when it's going to be um, uh, kind of water uh, is going to come from. So I just put the bucket there and I will never take it from that place. And that means that even if I'm not at home, I do not have to worry that my floor will be wet when I come back. Unless the bucket gets full, but at least it's, it's kind of good enough response. Um, better than nothing, right? So uh, you respond um, to that challenge in that way. You respond to a pattern. Uh, but at some point, you start, I don't know, maybe meditating heavily or, you know, contemplating or um, uh, maybe even talking with others. And you see, oh, wow, maybe I have a structural problem here, which means that I may have a um, hole in the roof. So I just go and fix the hole in the roof and uh, the, I will break the pattern. And uh, that is exactly what you do. Let's imagine and um, uh, you don't have uh, this problem anymore, right? So we just fix the structural problem that were uh, that was creating this pattern, and uh, um, you can you know later uh, celebrate how smart you are until you have a second um, case of that. So you have water coming from some other part of the ceiling, and you have another hole in the roof. Now you're smart. You fix another hole, and then you fix another hole and another hole, and then at some point you have holes all over the place. And uh, it's like two holes at the same time, three holes at the same time. It's like, what the hell is happening? I'm fixing that roof all the time. And um, in this case, it might occur to you, it's very hard work usually for, for us, for humans, right? To kind of really um, uh, see uh, why things like this are happening. Um, and, but it might occur to you that you have a certain mental model that does not have the concept of repairing your roof every five years or like changing your roof every five years. And for that, you would have to save money to do that every five years. So this will impact um, a lot of things in your life, including your budgeting habits, including your uh, how you think, what you know about your roof, how you think about your roof. So you have to change your mental model. And once you change the mental model, uh, then, um, then, then, then this mental model that produced that structural problem in the first place uh, will produce different structures that would produce different partner uh, uh, patterns that would produce different events. And that is the end of the classical iceberg. So uh, what Manuel claims um, um, is also very important is something um, uh, that is uh, even um, kind of down the line in this, uh, in this uh, pyramid, right? Which is, uh, which is narratives. Um, so imagine uh, you decided to uh, change your mental model. You're fully aware that you have to change your mental model and you know how you want to change that. 
uh, you work on that heavily, then you go out of the uh, house and you speak with your uh, neighbors and they say, hey, you're crazy. Nobody does that. Nobody saves money to, to change the roof every five years uh, in the neighborhood, right? And our ancestors never never did that and we never do that and you're crazy. Um, and buckets are just fine or, you know, you know it's like it will never work. Uh, something else will happen or whatever they may, ha- may have in those narratives. And all of a sudden... Uh, you feel discouraged. And even if you don't feel discouraged, then you come back home and you talk with your partner. Okay, let's let's save our money to uh, fix the roof every five years. And your partner says, no, 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 no. Nobody does that in our neighborhood. And uh, our neighbors will be laughing at us. And by the way, I don't want our money to be used in that way. So all of a sudden you encounter as a, a stakeholder with the power to support a block. Right. And so this is a great illustration, in my opinion, that changing your own mental models is not enough. You need to engage stakeholders in changing the narratives. And uh, the last piece is uh, human natures, uh, which is not something we recommend to changing, even though some people uh, are working on, you know, uh, biological things, you know, medications or uh, genetic things that control our emotions, etc. We don't go there and we actually... Personally, do not think it's a good idea. However, it's in our assessment. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we need to understand our human natures in order to be able to change the narratives and change the mental models. So, for example, whenever we are under stress, it's our biology that makes us um, uh, less open-minded. So, our brain starts doing what it does best. And it retreats to the old patterns, the, the, the old narratives the old, old mental models, the old habits. So if you're trying to change narratives, for example, um, you need to make sure that uh, you, uh, um, you take care of, of that side of your stakeholders and also yourself, right? Because uh, if you just engage in uh, changing your own mental models without taking uh, enough food and uh, enough sleep and things like that, this affects um, how you think and it affects what you see and how you perceive the world. Um, so uh, knowing our human natures uh, is the foundation for us to be able to be more aware of our own mental models and for us to be able to engage stakeholders to create spaces for conversations that are really generative rather than reactive. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is just one of the uh, aspects of human natures that we need to, uh, to know. Uh, uh, with that, again, so um, the last thing I say about this uh, is that uh, most of the time, what we do is just put buckets there or just leave buckets where we know they will be needed, which is technical solutions. Mm-hmm. And right now we have a lot of uh, um, uh, technical solutions being funded and being promoted uh, that we also need because we need to treat symptoms and uh, release pain and suffering. But uh, what we want to in, uh, encourage people to do and support people uh, in doing so, uh, we want people to engage in evolutionary work which is changing structures, mental models, and narratives. And structures could be physical structures or it could be institutions like policy, written law. Um, uh, Then mental models are worldviews and um, and narratives are cultures. So uh, that is uh, kind of a long but uh, hopefully simple explanation of what (laughs) we actually do. Yeah, no, that's super. Thank you, Fedora. I really appreciate that. I, I really resonate with what you were saying about uh, changing the language and the mental models and the narratives and also thinking about self-care and how do you 
address the the time lag that often occurs between, in your example, between cause and effect, realizing, okay, you know, there's at some point you need to replace the whole roof. And a lot of people don't recognize that when they're in the middle of a particular event, they just go for a quick technical solution that ends up kicking the can down the road a little bit further. Right. So the... Could you briefly describe what the seven principles are that guide the Institute's work now that you've described it so beautifully? Um, Great, thanks. So basically these are, uh, we call them competences rather than principles. And um, so this is basically, they're framed as um, kind of jargon terms um, that um, hopefully will, you know, prompt people to do research or just have conversations with us or somebody else about these terms uh, that would open up, uh, that would kind of uh, open the doors for them um, into um, into the realm, uh, certain realms of knowledge that um, have have been developed over the last decades by, by many different people. Uh, so in, in this spirit, um, let me share the seven competencies. Um, so first of all, it's, of course, personal evolution, which is developing, working on our own mental models, on our own um, evolving um, new, new mindset that is uh, much more complex than uh, the tribal mindset we've been having so far uh, throughout our history. So it's um, uh, embracing the diversity of identities and uh, embracing the legitimacy of other and, uh, and, and uh, um, developing a, a new um, uh, capacity of, of observing the world uh, through different lens. Um, some of this work is uh, related to uh, what you, Tom, uh, is engaged in, the integral theory, um, uh, Robert Keegan's work, um, you know, and so I can name some, some other names as well. But again, the, this, uh, like different people uh, come to this with different, uh, um, different models. But the direction is generally the same. So it's evolving our, uh, our perception of the world in our mental models so that we can, and our attachment, our capacity to loosen our attachments to our mental models uh, in a way that allows us to be more agile and uh, uh, um, uh, it allow us to perceive the world through more, more complex lens. Um, so the second is so, um, systems thinking. So whenever we take care of uh, our personal evolution, we cannot do that uh, without, uh, you know, perceiving the outside world. So we need to understand what systems mean and how they help us um, uh, see relationships rather than just elements. And how can we, um, uh, you know, see systems around us uh, as interconnected and, uh, and uh, in, in specific cases as living. Right. Uh, what it implies, you know, uh, what are the general principles of systems and how we leverage uh, certain points in those systems and things like that. Um, then uh, another competency is adaptive work and collaboration, uh, which is how to identify and engage stakeholders and what is adaptive leadership. So which is based on Roland Heifetz and his his work and uh, uh, many other um, uh, people who are doing like more practical work and stakeholder engagement, multi-stakeholder dialogue and things like that. So how do we actually take, uh, uh, take this um, uh, systems thinking work and uh, 
uh, apply it in the real world with real people and engage them in, in, in this change work. Um, so the, the uh, another one is um, emotions and generative language, uh, which uh, helps us um, understand the nature of us as linguistic and emotional beings. Um, and understand how emotions and language generate relationships in action. Um, so when we do, uh, when we work on our personal evolution, when we work on stakeholder engagement, uh, uh, this is done primarily through language. And emotions and generative language uh, helps us uh, in, uh, engage others and also engage ourselves in creating new realities. Um, another one uh, is also related, it's called ontological designing. Um, and that is a theory developed by Fernando Flores and some other people um, that, uh, that emphasizes the importance of the feedback loop between uh, our own worldviews and cultural and institutional context. And also claims that we are all designers, ontological designers, so uh, designers of our ways of being, uh, w whether we want that or not. So it's not a job that we can decline. Um, or, uh, all right, and we need to take responsibility uh, for for, uh, for for the act of design that we do with everything, every moment of our existence. And uh, uh, then it also says that uh, whatever we design, sooner or later, comes back and designs us. So this th feedback loop is the key. And so the invitation here is to become more conscious about why we're designing what we're designing and, uh, and, 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 um, and uh, what's consequences our design will create for us and for, for others, right? Um, um, because most of the time we're designed unconsciously and uh, uh, what we and we've been engaged in unconscious social evolution for far too long. And now it is the time and we have the tools and capacity to come together as human beings on this planet uh, to take responsibility for a more conscious social evolution. And in that spirit, there is another competency that's called evolutionary visions and uh, evolutionary visions is about um, our capacity to, to, to um, um, use our wisdom and uh, our understanding of, of, of the world and ourselves to create better visions for the future um, that are based on the highest possibility of the future rather than past patterns. So, and here I recall a, a story that uh, one of my friends who work with social entrepreneurs in India tells when they ask middle schoolers, what would you become if you have all the resources in the world and no constraints? Most kids said policeman or teacher because their worldview was limited by the role models they saw in their community. So we all have these limitations ourselves, uh, which is also part of, uh, you know, uh, the emotions and gender of language competency, understanding how language limits our options. Um, and with the evolution and visions, uh, we talk about how we as uh, as humans can come together and generate these visions that would open up new possibilities rather than just uh, uh, become logical consequences of our past. Um, and finally, um, uh, we talk about systemic sustainability as a competency. Um, and systemic sustainability is a concept of sustainability that includes environmental sustainability, the traditional one, uh, but also human sustainability and institutional sustainability. Um, so. Uh, with um, uh, environmental sustainability, uh, you know, if you just only think about the planet, um, probably like the most uh, extreme um, example of that kind of thinking is uh, actual movement that you can Google um, is movement for voluntary extinction of humanity. And uh, that is kind of a legitimate movement that says, let's not have babies and uh, let's just die out and the planet will be happy. 
which is a legitimate response. Uh, but if we want to uh, consider humans as part of the ecosystem, uh, then we have to think about human sustainability as well. On the other hand, um, uh, sometimes uh, people think about human sustainability. Um, uh, I, for example, I see that a lot in countries like Brazil, for example, when um, uh, you know my colleagues who teach at the university in Brazil say we have a hard time convincing students that they need to learn about sustainability because they say we have so many poor people in Brazil, we have to think about economic development first. Um, and uh, now it's very easy to illustrate with actual facts uh, from all over the world that this thinking is flawed and short-sighted and also not even short-sighted, but like it has immediate consequences. So unless we think about the planet and the environmental sustainability, we cannot uh, create human sustainability in isolation. It will hit human sustainability through natural disasters, uh, through um, uh, pollution, through all kinds of things that are directly impacting health and uh, even infrastructure and economies. Um, so, and on top of that, there is institutional sustainability, uh, which is um, how can we create sustainable institutions that also has the purpose of uh, building a sustainable world. Um, so, um, because the institutions that we have today uh, were designed uh, for a different purpose, right? And uh, um, without institutional support, um, a lot of solutions that we can think about um, within the current institutions, they will be limited and ineffective, right? So, we need to redesign institutions so that there is institutional sustainability that supports human and environmental sustainability. Um, and with that, so again, the, each of these competences refers to um, a solid body of knowledge and we create, um, uh, we, we teach that and we create experiential um, uh, trainings for people to, um, uh, to, to embody some of these concepts and models that help them uh, in the practical work they're doing. Super. Thank you very much for that very detailed response, Fedor. We have to take a short break. We are speaking with Fedor Ovtinikov from the Institute for Evolutionary Leadership, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We live in perilous times on a beautiful yet fragile planet. As a species, we are not doomed to self-destruct. We can live in peace and in love for one another. We can save this, our only home. We must mature. Open your mind. Soften your heart. Listen for the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. With host Lauren N. Nile. Tune in. The Fate of Humanity airs Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What makes a great leader? 
Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to Envision. This is Thomas Rosenberg, and we are here with Fedor Ovchinikov from the Institute for Evolutionary Leadership. And we were talking about the seven competencies that guide or underpin really all of the Institute's work. And you, you gave a very beautiful, detailed description of those seven competencies. I was curious, what are the biggest hurdles you see to bringing these out into the world to implementing these on a personal basis or perhaps even an organizational basis? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there are so many. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, let me tell you a story, I guess. Um, make it a bit more entertaining. Um, at the last Academy of Management conference, like last year, um, when we presented evolutional leadership, um, I um, also attended another session um, about, um, it was like intriguing, it had this intriguing name from um, training to cultural redesign, uh, tra- cultural transformation, an example of one government agency. So, oh, interesting. So I show up and there is a guy from the FBI mm-hmm. uh, talking about how um, they implemented systems thinking in the FBI uh, over the last 15 years and how it completely transformed the way the FBI works. Um, and uh, they had, uh, uh, you know, the, all these challenges, uh, three groups, spatial agents, support staff and analysts were hating each other and uh, really didn't, uh, didn't work together as a team, which uh, uh, limited the capacity of the FBI to address the new challenges after the 9-11. Uh, so they were equipped with, uh, tasked with some more counterintelligence um, uh, things to do and uh, things like that. So they had to really radically transform the way these three groups work together. And then he proudly presented how uh, they created trainings uh, for their staff uh, to um, to explain to them and to really make people embody the idea that when they work as a team, all these three little teams work together as one team, it benefits each of their groups. So it's not like they are sacrificing something for the greater whole. It's they're actually working for their own well-being and their well-being of their own groups when they coordinate their efforts and they really genuinely embrace the idea of them all acting as one system. And then we did some exercises that, uh, um, uh, you know, as examples of their work and the exercises were beautiful and, and everything was great. So after that workshop, I, I, I come to the guy and I say, sir, thank you for the presentation. It's fascinating how you've described uh, the work you've done, like on bringing systems thinking and explaining to people how they 
benefit from working as one team. Uh, what I wonder is, do you have any, uh, anything in your program uh, that addresses the role of the FBI in the larger system? And then there is a pause. <laughs> and he doesn't get what I'm talking about. So it's like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And then I say, maybe like coordination with other law enforcement agencies. And he's like, uh, that makes sense. It's like interesting. And um, how about the role of the FBI in the society in general in the United States and the world? What is the purpose of the FBI? How people perceive you? Uh, what consequences it creates and things like that. And he's like thinking and I see that he's thinking like very hard and he wants to, uh, you know, to, to get what I mean and to, to, to get an, to an answer. And then he says, we have Citizens Academy. I say, oh, interesting. What, what is that? And he says, we gather members of general public and educate them on what we do. He said, interesting. And is it a one-way street? Or do you also ask them for feedback and uh, learn from them? And then he thinks again and says, well, sometimes we get important intelligence data from them. And to that, I say, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> thank you for the presentation. Good luck. But as far as I understand, right, so there is this, uh, even, um, even people who are talking about systems thinking um, and people who not only talking about systems thinking, people who successfully implement th- systems thinking on an organizational level, uh, it's hard f- for them to embrace, to like expand this view. And this is exactly what Manuel was um, um uh, sharing about um, uh, some of his colleagues in the 90s uh, who uh, were systems thinkers and were bringing systems thinking to businesses. And uh, when he, uh, Manuel and some of uh, his friends said, well, we're systems thinkers, so we probably need to teach our clients how to see their own organizations within the larger context, the communities they operate in, the planet. And most of his colleagues said, no, 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 this is not what we're paid for. Uh, we need to implement systems thinking in these organizations for their own purpose, to make more money, to make profit. And uh, don't we dare to talk about larger systems. Um, and this is just one of the seven competences, right? So this is a problem with systems thinking in the context of creating a more just, sustainable, and flourishing world. And of course, mm-hmm. there are so many more. Yeah. Wow. No, it's uh, it's true. I think, I mean, you, you mentioned just the fact that it was still very much within the silo of of the organization and not recognizing how how that organization fits into the larger ecosystem, even if that's just law enforcement agencies or for that matter, the country and the world and right. and how to really fully integrate all of those different levels to be more effective. I think it would be fascinating if they had a roadmap to explore how to get there, because obviously you need to start someplace, and it sounds like they seem to be relatively successful implementing systems thinking within the organization, but is there a roadmap, as you suggest, to going further, and and how might that improve their their? Yeah, but before they have a roadmap, uh, I mean, because I agree with you, Tom, I mean, that is, that is really important to understand where you're going with that. But in the case of, 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 of this particular um, uh, guy who is amazing, who actually has done an amazing job and, and he understands and there's no lack of conceptual understanding, you see, but there is lack of um, application of this conceptual understanding beyond certain limited context. Yes. And uh, before uh, they, they develop this roadmap or at least realize the need for such a roadmap, they need to, uh, to kind of accept that there is something more than just the FBI in right. the world, 
right? Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the challenge. Yes, at the edge of the four walls, that's where the, that's, that's the limit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because usually people say, hey, uh, uh, like systems thinking is quite a concept. And yes, I mean, we need to like teach more people um, how to think systemically. And I totally agree with that. We, we do need to do that. Uh, but even if um, someone has a very deep insight into how systems work, like, like, like this guy in my example, right, it does not guarantee that these concepts, this understanding will be applied in, in all appropriate context. That's, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Indeed. So we've been talking in, in broader brushstrokes, and I'd like to change the direction of the conversation a little bit. So speaking about the, the hybrid structure for the Institute, why did you choose a hybrid structure for the Institute, and, and who is your target audience? Because sure. that, might, that might help explain why you chose the hybrid structure. Uh, right, yeah, and basically hybrid, we chose hybrid structure because, um, you know, what we do has the most impact, on the one hand, has most impact when we do consulting work um, and so training work with uh, organizational clients, um, especially with complex projects um, uh, like uh, the one we're doing with uh, Qingdao, for example, city of um, Qingdao in China through our strategic partner. But we also, at the same time, we also want to uh, open up, open this knowledge up to uh, people who want to learn, uh, just individuals, and apply that in their work. Um, and also we want to, um, allow, uh, to invite people to share their knowledge because what we have is not the silver bullet solution. Uh, this is um, kind of a framework that took Manuel a lot of uh, um, time and, 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 and efforts to develop. Um, and that is a good conceptual framework with some very good links to rich content. Um, but um, uh, new things are being developed in the world every day. Right, so we want to invite people into conversations and share their best practices, etc. And uh, that's uh, so. But at the same time, uh, so we we need to focus on our organizational work. Um, and uh, um, th the solution that we designed uh, was to create a cooperative style community. So it's not an official cooperative yet. Uh, we're incubating it on the basis of our limited liability company, uh, as many cooperatives you you probably know do, especially. In, California, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's uh, being operated um, uh, based on cooperative principles. We have operating principles and uh, uh, members have uh, a say in, in governance and in management of our budgets in the community, uh, which basically makes it a little bit more um, um, kind of uh, decentralized and, uh, um, and uh, provides a structure for individuals to engage in learning with us and with each other in a way that does not um, uh, put all the burden on organizing these processes on us necessarily. And that's that's how we chose uh, to focus on our business customer relationships in this cooperative form um, versus um, having boutique consultancy, uh, consulting and training company, focusing on organizational work. And also there are synergies between the two. So basically uh, we uh, invite people from the community to work with us on consulting and uh, training projects. Uh, with our clients um, and uh, we also take learnings from our consulting work and share these learnings with the community members. Excellent, excellent. So could you also describe in a little more detail the the various offerings because I know earlier we discussed the the version of the what the Institute does with the with the the, the roof and and the leaking, the, the, the buckets, et cetera, but that was really more of an analogy. So could you just quickly describe sure. the, 
yeah. the various offerings that the institute um, has. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we uh, basically, uh, usually uh, we structure our work uh, by having strategic partners in different geographic locations. Uh, those partners know what we can do and uh, they know the local markets. So they basically um, engage with the clients and they use our offerings, which is um, uh, very highly tailored uh, consulting, training, um, uh, and uh, multi-stakeholder engagement offerings. Um, so, and they basically bring that to their clients uh, in their packages. Um, so, we also, um, and again, so this could be like, for example, um, uh, in uh, uh, the city of Qingdao, right, they have very ambitious sustainability uh, goals. Um, and at the same time, uh, they are pushed to promote entrepreneurship because of the automatization and uh, low labor costs. And they don't quite see the connection. So we basically, our message to them was, hey, and actually, if you, uh, if you um, uh, think about it uh, in, in evolutionary terms uh, and more systemically, then you can actually create a social innovation ecosystem. Um, and that would help you both develop entrepreneurship in, um, and uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem and uh, address your sustainability goals and much more. Mm-hmm. And to that, for that, you have you need uh, you need to train people to have all these different competencies. Um, and that is that is kind of one example. Um, so um, we uh, we work with organizations uh, that are creating. Um, uh, different programs of their own um, that are aimed at uh, enabling people to do change in specific areas, right? Um, and uh, we teach part of their curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, again, what uh, because some some of these programs uh, they require a lot of technical knowledge as well or industry knowledge. That's what, not our core thing. So what we come in and teach them meta competencies, and we create this experiential um, training for people to really. Uh, uh, get into how ontological design works uh, and how they can be more conscious designers of the systems uh, every 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 time they engage in, mm. in this design. So, who are your 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 strategic partners? Could you describe some of the strategic partners that you have? Maybe a couple in each region. Uh, right, absolutely. So, uh, basically, um, uh, strategic partners are uh, either consulting and training companies. Uh, that uh, our foundations uh, are HR companies. Um, so uh, those who um, who provides uh, complementary services primarily to different uh, stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Right. So for example, in China, we have an HR company, one of the major HR companies in the region, uh, working directly with the city. So and we do not work with the city. We work through them. Right. So city is their client and. Uh, uh, and that uh, saves a lot of headache for us because we don't need to think about all this local stuff uh, that they can think about, including the administrative part and things like that. So we uh, and they understand what we do and how we do it. Uh, so we just coordinate with them, um, uh, you know, uh, something that is uh, directly related to the core of our business and let them do the rest. So who, where what what areas of the world or what geographic regions of the world are you is, do you have right. so far? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so far, um, Latin America, specifically Colombia, Brazil, um, uh, Nordic countries, uh, uh, primarily Sweden, and now we're you know, touching base with Norway. Um, you know, we'll hope to work with Catapult Accelerator. Um, uh, so uh, then, Asia now it's only China, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, and the United States. I think so. Oh no, uh, the, the, there is something. There are some things at the early stages with Saudi Arabia, but other than that, uh, that's it. Super. And are these? So are are there? Is there a difference between the strategic partners and the organizational partners that you work with? Um, they, one of the same, basically. So the, yeah, the, that's the same. So yeah, one of the so same. Okay, so yeah, it, yeah. it's just those strategic partners and your your, uh, your individual I mean, members. Right. Oh yeah, individual. Yeah. So basically, strategic partners and individual members. We have our own clients. So sometimes uh, uh, we have, like, for example, like um, uh, Kaufman Foundation calls and says uh, they want us to do something for them. So we work with them directly as a client, discussing what they need as a client. Mm-hmm. as opposed to developing strategic partnerships. But we still see that as them as providers of complementary services to their fellows so that we can, if we teach uh, part of their curriculum, for example, we would be, um, uh, we would be um, kind of uh, working through them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not an official agreement. We have like a standard strategic alliance agreement. Uh, it's not that, right? So um, we consider that as clients. Uh, also, there are uh, like uh, service providers that are our partners. I don't know, a catering partner, for example, right? venue partners. Uh, so uh, like Saybrook University, uh, like uh, downtown Oakland Association and local level, like things like that. These are partners, but mm-hmm. these are not strategic partners. Right. But again, this is uh, uh, more like supporting each other in, in doing the work um, rather than um, uh, serving client, uh, like it's it's not it's not as okay. as strategic. Uh, it's it's more it's it's more about just uh, providing complementary services. Mm-hmm. Super. Alrighty. Well, thank you for that. We need to take another short break, and we'll be right back after the messages. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Would you like to be the change you see needed in the world? Are you ready to make a difference? If so, tune in to Voice for Truth with host Sharon Wyckoff. Every show will be filled with inspiring content to support you in recognizing your greatness. Guests will share their expertise. Young people will tell how they are making a difference. You too can be a voice for truth. Listen live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Hello, we're back and continuing our conversation with Fedor Ovchinikov from the Institute for Evolutionary Leadership. So Fedor, I wanted to ask you 
for those who are really curious and want to learn more, how might someone who's listening collaborate with the Institute? What is the, the best way to reach out and... and uh, sure. How, yeah. how can they so play can in the go- same sandbox? Right, right, right. Cool. Uh, so one way to do that is to go to our website, avoliteinstitute.com, avoliteinstitute.com, and there is a contact form there. Uh, you can also follow us on YouTube, uh, on uh, Facebook, and on Twitter. Um, and uh, um, feel free to reach out to me personally. Uh, again, we um, uh, welcome different different inquiries that serious requests. Um, uh, so, um, if you're listening to this show, that so I guess uh, you can just use my personal email, which is f. You can look at the description of this show um, for my last name and then at avalidinstitute.com f.ovchinikov at avalidinstitute.com this will ensure that I personally will see your email and respond super so what uh, if somebody's interested I'm just thinking about all the different ways that someone might be able to collaborate sure so, yeah right right yeah so basically if you're an individual you're welcome to uh, join our community um, and uh, there is information on the website on uh, what it, in, it entails and how to do that. Uh, so if you are an organization and your potential clients, again, send me an email and uh, we can uh, have a conversation about your needs. Uh, again, this is not a cookie cutter solution. This mm-hmm. is always, absolutely always a tailored one, right? So uh, it, it, it starts with a relationship with a conversation and uh, really seeing where you are. Um, so, and uh, if you want to be a strategic partner, uh, then again, send me an email and uh, starting point is the same. Excellent. All righty. And for someone who's just beginning their evolutionary leadership journey and perhaps just focusing on that competency around personal evolution, where do you recommend someone begin? I know it's a big question, but if there's... Right, yeah. I mean, there are many, many ways. I can just say, oh, well, go to Wisdom 2.0, like do meditation. And <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what I want to say, <laughs> really. Right? Um, well, I would say just um, um, think about, um, uh, think about uh, the idea of the legitimacy of the other really deeply. And that could be one of the many, many ways to start. Um, and, uh, you know, try to challenge your own perception of the legitimacy of the other in some cases. And this is one way. Um, also, you know, you can, of course, go and read our seven competences paper and we have seven, oh, it's, sorry, five books per competency. So you can go to my LinkedIn profile and see uh, um, seven competences of evolutionary leadership um, as one of the posts there on, on like my articles on, um, on LinkedIn that we uh, shared with Manuel, uh, with the academic community. So go to LinkedIn and find this article. You will have references to books, mm-hmm. and you will read these books as well. That, that's another way. Super. What is one thought that you would like people to take away from this conversation? Um, well, um, we need uh, to be more conscious designers of our future together. And uh, um, the, journey st- the journey starts there. Right. Uh, with that need, and uh, uh, again, the personal evolution part is the legitimacy of father. But the evolution leadership journey, again, we need to become more conscious designers of our future together. And mm-hmm. that is uh, probably the most important takeaway I would suggest. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, it goes, I guess, to the, the ontological evolution, right? And, and just thinking ontologically, as Fernando Flores stated. So that makes a lot of sense. So what is next for you and the Institute? Uh, well, a lot of stuff. Uh, so we just ran uh, our first uh, Evolution Future Challenge, had amazing eight amazing finalists, uh, and uh, we want to do that next year again on larger scale. So uh, we want to collaborate with um, uh, different partners, including Impact, Impact Hub Network, uh, on doing events around the world uh, that would lead to that. Uh, so uh, we keep uh, our, uh, developing our strategic alliances and uh, uh, coming to different other locations. And uh, uh, our specific focus is to work on city level whenever possible, uh, locally, uh, or with uh, uh, fellowship programs uh, and different, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, aim at uh, high impact change makers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, okay, and I'll just stop there because again, these, these are the main things, and uh, there are so many others. <laughs> Could you describe just very briefly the the uh, the the future the competition for uh, for the future that you had with the eight finalists? Oh yeah, yeah, and right, sure. Uh, evolution Future Challenge. So it's a platform for people to tell the uh, the world about their evolutionary work. And uh, uh, you know, in many cases, uh, when people have this opportunity. Um, the focus is on technical stuff, the financial, like the business model and, uh, you know, measurable impact uh, of, uh, you know, some technical changes. Uh, but what we uh, want people to think about is uh, uh, more systemic, um, is uh, more intentional uh, work on cultures, institutions and mental models. What are these uh, mental models that they're working on and cultures and institutions? What are the, what is, what are the stakeholders? Uh, what is the stakeholder engagement strategy? Things like that. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, um, uh, through that, so we change the perspective, the way people talk about their work, and we also do, um, uh, we also um, uh, uh, we, um, we also select uh, uh, people uh, who will receive full tuition scholarship to our fellowship program that we're offering next year, and wow. that would be a, a six-month program that uh, will uh, allow people to have our uh, dedicated support to their efforts and mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, and 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 uh, create. Um, uh, measurable results uh, that are deeper than uh, than just technical solution. Super. So you mentioned earlier your the LinkedIn profile and your website. Are there any other places that that people can follow the institute story? Um, right. Uh, primarily, again, uh, so you can follow us on Facebook as well. So we share a lot of stuff on Facebook. Actually, a little bit more than on Twitter, um, uh, even. Though, like, important stuff goes everywhere. Uh, but Facebook is uh, the most lively channel, I would say. Then, what's that address? Um, well, you just, I think you just uh, search for uh, Institute for Evolution Leadership on Facebook as a page. Okay. Yeah. And that's okay. Super. Um, so, Fedor, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank Feel you, free Tom. to read. That's great. You're very welcome, and feel free to reach out to Fedora with questions through the, through Facebook, the LinkedIn, or or his the website for further information. And if you are seeking a coach to work with one on one, I am available as well. I am certified as an integral coach, and I help leaders and community activists fostering regenerative communities on their personal journey of transformation. 
Yeah, sorry. And here, Tom, uh, if I'm just may, yeah, I mean, uh, that is an, yeah, that is the third way that where you can start with if you're seeking um, to work on your personal evolution. Tom as a coach is a great, great idea. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And so, yes, my, the style of coaching is developmental, and I offer a grounded presence and heartful trust-filled uh, space. So please visit Regenerate.coach for more information and to contact me. And we'll see you next time. Great. Thank you, everyone. you for tuning in this week to envision if you have questions comments or suggestions for future shows visit our facebook page at facebook.com forward slash envision regenerative communities for more information about today's guests and upcoming shows please see our show page on voiceamerica.com be sure to join us again next tuesday at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel have a terrific week